You like it? <laughs> it's kind of hanging off my hip here, but well, sorry, Pastor Lynn. I'm going to mess with your pulpit. I, what should I do with it? It's going to be right in front of my face, <laughs> which is fine, but may be distracting. Okay. Well, you gals are having a good time. This is fun. I'm enjoying this. And I know you, it's exciting for, for Melanie that you ladies have come, and it's exciting for me as well. Um, I've obviously not prayed for each one of you by name. I didn't know who was coming, but I have prayed for those who come and that just the right ladies would come this weekend as we have our time together. Um, talking about the hope that we have. You know, hope is a uh, word we use all the time. I found myself using it a lot today when Melanie and I were running around doing things and get... I. I I don't, Melanie may not have known, noticed it, but when you w- walked into some place today and I stayed in the car, I can't remember what it was, as you walked out, I thought, good night, how many times did I use the word hope today? Just in our conversation, I hope this goes okay. And honestly, ladies, coming here this weekend, actually, I left Canada on, okay, <laughs> I left Canada on when? Wednesday to get here. Uh, I was in New Brunswick. I don't know if you know where New Brunswick is, but it's, it's the Maritimes. It's over there near Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island, you know, over there. And with an E, you know, she's over there. <laughs> Beautiful area. But I flew to Toronto, and I got to Toronto, and my flight was three hours delayed. I was supposed to fly into Indianapolis, Indiana, spend the night, and then Thursday fly here, you know. And and I did. I flew here Thursday, but I didn't even get into Indianapolis to 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it was like, are you serious? And then getting up and getting on another plane, which was also delayed to get here. And then I got to Los Angeles, and it was delayed again because some passenger had fooled with the laboratory, and they couldn't get it to work. You know, and it was like, what is this? I don't know what's going on. And I kept, it kept going on in my mind, you know, I hope, I hope I'll make this flight, you know, because at one point I didn't think I was, you know, and I just kept using the word hope over and over again. And it kind of dawned on me, we all use the word hope a lot, but most of the time when we use it, it's something of wishful thinking. You know, I Googled the definition of hope. Used to, I would look in a Webster's dictionary. I, <laughs> Now we Google everything. So I Googled, what, what is the definition of hope? And there it gave words like desire, uh, words like uh, wishful thinking, um, you know, maybe or maybe not. And that's really what hope is in our vernacular today. That's how we use it so often. But ladies, biblical hope is the opposite of wishful thinking. It's the total opposite. I love the songs we've sung tonight. I really do. Um, On Christ, the solid rock I stand. It is solid. It is sure. In fact, instead of words like wishful thinking or maybe it'll happen, when you're talking and we're talking about biblical hope, we're talking about words like sure, 
steadfast, confident. Those are words we're talking about when we talk about biblical hope. Because, ladies, whatever God says will happen. It will happen. And we, as Christians, and we'll talk about this in the lesson tonight, are looking for that blessed hope. That's our eternal life in heaven with our Savior Jesus and with God, our Father. And, of course, all the saints that have gone on before us and that are here now and that will be saved in years to come. Hope is a beautiful word. I heard one time, I think it was on television, somebody said, oh, hope is just a tease. If you have hope, it's just a tease. You know, I thought, yeah, worldly hope is. Fleshly, human hope is. It's just a tease because we don't know if it's going to happen or not. But not biblical hope. It's our sure and steady foundation in life. And I really, I, I, I was looking for definitions in my Bible study, One of the, uh, my Bible, my study Bible, if I can get the words right here. My study Bible, the, the man there said that biblical hope is confident, confident optimism. And that's true. It is. It's, it's, con, it's that confidence. And we think positively, we confidence because we trust God's word. But I tell you, I like my husband's definition the best that I've heard and I've read for biblical hope. He says, hope is rock, solid, divine confidence or assurance. We can go to the bank with it. When God, anything God tells us, anything, his whole word is full of hope because it's what we're looking for. It's what gets us through this life. It's what our hope of eternal life, one day in Christ, biblical hope, rock-solid divine confidence. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. I thought we would look at hope, understanding exactly what it is for this first lesson. I'm the type of speaker... <laughs> That really, like, the first time I speak in, like, a ladies' conference, I want to lay a foundation of what we're looking at. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Tonight's kind of our foundation of uh, the weekend. What is hope? Why do we have a reason to hope? Well, I think we find that here in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, where it says, if I get it up here, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our reason for hope, I think we find out here, first of all, the reason we can hope, ladies, is because hope comes from God. Do you see that? Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, because it comes from Him. He is our reason. He is the ultimate authority. 
And you notice there, it's secured by the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope, that's why it's sure. It's a sure and steady anchor in our life. We can depend on it because God is the one who authored hope. He's the one who told us about it. Uh, it's a wonderful, you know, we, are, we as humans are always looking to someone we can trust, aren't we? Uh, someone who has greater authority, greater expertise to give us a sense of, of security, a sense of hope. Uh, this last year, as um, Melanie mentioned, my husband and I had a very trying year. The Lord saw fit uh, for my husband to get cancer. And not even a, a, a good cancer, if there is such a thing. Um, so it was a hard diagnosis. It really was. He was 63 years old when he was diagnosed. Uh, very healthy man otherwise. I mean, doctors were amazed. I mean, you talk about vitals like a teenager. He has His vitals are like that of a teenager. It really is amazing. He's always taking good care of himself. This kind of knocked us off our feet. But every time we would go to the... He's doing well, by the way. Praise the Lord. He's doing well. He's in remission. Uh, we're still having... You know how you do. You still have to go see doctors, which every time we go to a doctor, it's like, okay, I have to bring my mind into captivity once again, and I have to realize once again my hope where it is and, and why we're here on earth. But... Every time we would go to the doctor, and even still to this day, when we go for his checkups, I look and listen to everything that doctor says. Why? He's a greater authority than I am. He knows what he's talking about. I don't. And praise the Lord, we got a Christian doctor. It was wonderful. When my husband was released to go to the hospital to have a bone marrow transplant, uh, it was just an exciting day, and he just said, I want to pray for you guys. And so he just, you know, we just sat there and, and all prayed together. And I looked, he's like, he's a 40, I guess he's 42 now, a uh, big, tall guy from, uh, where is he from? He's from Nigeria. And just the coolest guy, just really, he's not married, um, you know, and it's like, you know, Dr. Weezu, you need to get married, you know, and just have that kind of relation. He could be my son, honest. I don't have a 42-year-old son, but I have a son that's about to turn 41, you know. And I looked at him and said, and I said, do you mind if I hug you? You could be my son, you know. And he goes, oh, I'm a hugger, you know. He's just a great guy. Um, but I would watch him. Not, I wouldn't only listen to his words to hear, because he's the better, he's the authority. But I watched his body language. I really did. As he would sit there and he would study the monitor where all of my husband's information was. Man, I was sitting and he, he did it one time. He just kind of turned and looked at me. I know, doctor, I know, but I'm just watching everything you do. Why? Because he was a greater authority than me. And that's who we as humans are. We look to somebody who's a greater authority in, in life than we are. You know, the Bible, Scripture, verifies that. Turn to Hebrews, chapter 6, our theme Scripture for this weekend. I love it. It's a wonderful passage. Hebrews, chapter 6. 
And let's start in verse 13. Our, our theme verse is, chap, is verse 19, which says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Man, what, what, I hope you go away this weekend after all the sessions and all the singing and all the fellowship realizing how beautiful those words are, how true they are. Christ is our anchor. He's our anchor for our soul. But let's start in verse 13. It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, that's Abraham, he obtained the promise. Verse 16, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Do you understand what he's saying there? He said, men swear by what's greater than they are. That's what they look to. You know, you go to court. I guess they still do this in, in court where you raise your hand and you take an oath. You swear, you know, and what do you swear? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Our, our nation has gotten so far away from God as the authority. But yet that's our foundation. Our forefathers founded our nation on God. Why? Because he is the ultimate authority. They knew it, and we as God's children know it. And honestly, it's written on the heart of every human born. There's that conscience that we have. Um, so men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all, stri of all strife. So in other words, it's settled. Once somebody gives an oath, greater, somebody greater than you, then it's settled. You don't have to question it anymore. That's kind of like what it was at the doctor's office. He said it, so okay, that's what it was. Okay, good. His num My husband's numbers are good. I had confirmation. Verse 17, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. In other words, ladies, God is, a let, is letting humankind, mankind, into who he is, into his nature, his character. You see, God cannot lie. It says that here that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor for our soul. It says by two immutable things. You know what those immutable things are? Number one is God's promised scripture. God cannot lie, so everything that's in scripture is truth. And God swears two immutable things that says he cannot lie. His promised word, and he swore by himself. There's no one greater. So God is saying here, through the writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God is the greatest authority there is. He cannot lie. So therefore, we can trust his word. We can trust it. 
we can rest in what he says. And ladies, as we go through this weekend, there will be more things that we're going to hear about how God is our rest, how he is our anchor for eternity and for the here and now. And we're going to talk about that tonight for eternity and the here and now. Um, the word immutable, when it says immutable, it was a term used of a legal will, and no one could change it but the maker of the will. That's what immutable means. Nobody could change it but the maker of the will. The Bible says that God's word is settled in heaven. Nobody can change it. It's truth. People can, you know, they can say it's not, you know, relative, it's all relative or that's your truth. That's not my truth. Oh, we are so warped in our thinking. Truth is truth. And it's the foundation of life. If we can't, if we don't know what truth is, we have nothing to stand on. It's so important that we know truth. And God's word is our truth. And God, the ultimate authority, swears by his word. And he swears by himself. We don't usually think of the word swear as a good thing, but in this case it is. It's his oath. It's his oath to, him, to us. And we can trust him. He's letting us know about who he is. There's no one greater than God, no one with more expertise. So when God promises something, it's real. It's real. We can take it to the bank. God's promises are direct deposits for our lives. They're there for us to spend. How about that? God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Spend it. Say, okay, I take that as truth and trust God that he's always with me. He'll never leave me because he is the ultimate authority. Wonderful, wonderful truth. So the author of hope is God. Number two, the basis for hope is understanding who God is. Understanding who God is. This is important, ladies. The basis of hope is you, we have to understand who God is. Until we know who he is, our, our hope will waver. We will be on a roller coaster ride in life, ups and downs, emotional, ups and downs, and up because life is messy. Life is hard. Things get thrown at us. We're knocked off of our feet, you know, you know just like, my husband and I, the end of January of 2018, we were literally knocked off of our feet. Really? There is really no cancer in his family. Never has been. Now, since he's been diagnosed, he's had a cousin diagnosed with prostate cancer, but it was very mild, very minimal. It was taken care of. But, you know, it's like, where did this come from? Life knocks you off your feet. And you have... You have choices to make. And the only, only way you can survive during times of life that really makes no sense, even though you know it's part of life, 
you know, we're all going to die someday. Still, when it hits you and hits your family, it's like, this doesn't make sense. But knowing the character of our God is what's helped get Morris and me through this last year and a half. We have to know who God is. Um, Someone once said, if a person is to know God, that knowledge must come from God himself. Otherwise, it is relegated to mere human speculation. Wow. It's got to come from God himself. So my premise in saying this is it's wonderful to come to ladies' conferences. This is wonderful. We're learning more about God. We're learning more about ourselves as well and our view that we truly have of God in ladies' conferences. It's wonderful to come to church. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's where God's Word is preached and proclaimed, and it's important. It's vital that we be in church and we have our church family to help sustain us and, and you know, and, and we rejoice together and we weep together and we enjoy one another. All of that's important. It's important. You know, it's important to hear God's Word proclaimed on the radio. You know, if you have a good um, preacher maybe on the radio, you have to be careful. But, I mean, you can find some good ones. Those are wonderful. But ladies, nothing will ever take the place of you personally getting to know God by yourself. Do you know him as your Savior? If you do, he'll speak to you. He really will. And I'm not just saying just read your Bible, although that's part of it. That's a very important part of it. But if you really want to get to know God, you have to seek him. You have to have a purpose in your reading. Um, I hope this is making sense. You, you have to go after who he is. So yes, read your Bible. Read it daily. It's very important. But don't let it be a duty. Because honestly, when you don't read your Bible, God's not the one that's hurt. You're the one that's hurt because you miss out on what he has for you. Um, years ago, oh, I don't know, back in the 90s, um, I just felt like, you know, I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I, I know you, and I'm going to give you visuals right now so you'll understand what I'm saying. Lord, I know you. <laughs> I have all this knowledge of you. I was saved when I was a little girl. Grew up in a Christian home. I know you, and I belong to you. I know that. But God, I want to know you. I really want to know who you are. And I didn't know what to do. I heard, well, Jim Berg. Some of you may may know who Jim Berg is. Great teacher of God's Word, counselor, godly 
godly man. You may, I don't know if y'all have ever done his study on changed into his image or anything like that, sort of. I don't know if your church family had your ladies, but he's done some excellent Bible studies. I mean, just excellent. Well, I heard him speaking, and he was speaking, oh my, at a, uh, it was a college graduation. We had a college in our, in our church there in Kansas City, Missouri, where we were at the time. And he was speaking, and I'll, I really don't remember. Obviously, he was probably challenging the graduates. He was probably saying, you know, um, get to know your God, you know, grow, go from here and serve the Lord and truly get to know him. Well, he gave an illustration, and this illustration was wonderful. He said, you know, when I was a little boy, every day I would come home from school I'd get off the bus and to get to my, I would walk to my house, but I would, every day I would pass by my grandmother's house as I was going home. He said, so every day I would turn into my grandmother's house and I would go visit her for a while because she always had fresh baked cookies for me. He said, and I couldn't miss out on those cookies. I love those cookies. He said, so every day for years until they moved away, he would stop by his grandmother's house as he would go home. He said, you know, now I'm grown, adult, children of my own. He said, I don't get to see my grandmother every day. He said, but when I go home and I do get to see her, I go visit her. He said, oh, there may be fresh baked cookies when I get there. He said, but I don't go see her for the cookies anymore. I go to see her just to talk with her and to know her, find out about her. You know, we take so many things for granted. We don't, we don't find out about our grand, grandparents' lives, you know, so often until we're older. And they have fascinating lives, ladies. You know, teenagers, those of you that are here, get to know your grandparents get to know some of the older people in your church. They have fascinating lives they can tell you about. But when Jim said that, when he said, I, I go now not for the cookies. I go just to spend time with her. I said, okay, Lord, that's what you're telling me. That's what I need to do. So at that point in my Christian life, I had read my Bible all my life. Uh, my dad was a pastor. He taught us that reading God's Word was important. And, we need, and he would ask us, have you read God's Word today? And you know, and that's good. And I'm glad he did because I would do it because if dad asked me, I didn't want to say, no, I didn't. You know, I always wanted to say yes. So maybe I did it for the wrong reason. But there was a pattern that was established in my life way back then. But I think it had become more of a duty. I did it because I knew I was supposed to do it. And oh, did I get things? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the Lord would talk to me about things, and I would understand things. Obviously, I had the Holy Spirit living in me, and, and I was reading his word. But all of a sudden, this real hunger came into my life to know who my God was. So I, I decided to do this. I thought every time before, every day before I get into God's word, I'm going to stop and pray and just ask the Lord to please tell me something, show me something about himself that day as I read and I started journaling I just started I have 20 journals yeah good size journals back in my house and they're in Texas where we live now I have them there of those years that I journaled and honestly 
I don't think there's anything theologically that I learned that I didn't already know because I had grown up, you know, hearing God's Word preached, reading it myself. But there was things about God that became sure in my heart. I got a grasp, and it's ever-growing. I've not arrived, and neither have any of you. But I got a grasp of who my God is and how He works. And you know, when you get to know who your, who your God is, it, it alleviates misconceptions about God. It'll alleviate them. It increases our confidence in God, in His Word. It eliminates fear. We can handle things. Um, last week in, in the um, church we were in there in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, the pastor just asked me, "Would you like? I would like for you to give a testimony. Would you give a testimony of what God has taught you through this last year? Well, I never get asked to give a testimony, you know, in a meeting. I was like, okay, okay, you know, and I was... I was thinking about it, and one of the things that, uh, the, you know, the comfort of peace was one thing. If you would have had, to, had told me that I would be able to make it through that year that I went through last year with my husband and still have joy in my heart and still be able to function and take care of him, I would have thought, you know, who are you? To, not me. I mean, it's like I don't like bad news. I mean, do you? I mean, I don't like bad news. I really don't. I, w- I wish I could live my life without bad news, but I wouldn't get to know God if I didn't live, if I didn't have bad news in my life or, or heartache or hardships. But I can honestly say there was a peace that came over my heart. And many nights, especially the nights before we would go to, to another doctor's visit to hear, especially during those first few weeks when you're getting all the tests done and all the everything's going on and, and you don't know what's going to be said. You don't know what you're going to hear. And I can remember many a night right before we'd go see the doctor the next day, whatever doctor it was we were seeing, I would lay my head on my pillow and I would say, well, Lord, tomorrow, I don't know what the report's going to be. You do. It's in your hands. But for tonight, all is well. All is well. Because we are in your hands. And I would go to sleep. I would go to sleep. Now, it was a year of tears. (laughs) It was a year of a lot of uh, anxiety. But because of my journey with God through the and my husband's amazing <laughs> faith and joy that he has always had in his life. It, it was really not near as hard as I thought it was going to be. It really wasn't. And not only did my husband get diagnosed with cancer, but a month and a half later, my daughter-in-law got diagnosed with cancer. She had breast cancer, you know, 39 years old, she had breast cancer. And it was like, wow, what a year. But God was there. And he gave, He eliminated so much fear that I normally would have. But he was there. 
When we get to know our God, it produces joy in our lives. And He provides peace and rest. That is so true. He really does. Um, So, how do we get to know God? First of all, I would say, I'm just going to give you a couple of general things, okay? Nothing real deep here, because there's so much we're going to learn this weekend. But if I were you, I would study God's attributes. Study His attributes, His character. Who he, His attributes are who He is. His integrity. His name. You know, there are names in the Bible for God. Lots of names, and they have meanings. And when you understand those names and, and the meanings that God's names have with them, you know, like one is El Shalom, the God of peace. You know, um, there, I can't even think of, I should have written them down. There's so many. Uh, Abraham said, to, I mean, Moses said to God, when, Moses, when God said, I want you to go to the children of Israel, Israel there in Egypt and tell them that, you know, you're there to take them out of the land. And Moses says, well, they're not going to listen to me. You know, who will I say sent me? And what did God say? I am. I am. Right. I am that I am. What does that mean? God was saying to, to Moses at that point, I am everything they need. That's who I am. You study the names of God, you're going to start resting no matter what storm comes into your life. Now, does that mean you won't, you know, panic at first or, or maybe anxiety? No. But the peace and the as you stay your mind on Him and who He is, that peace and that rest comes. It really does. Because you're getting to know him. Study his names. Um, Psalm 9:10 says, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. You know God's name, you can trust him. You realize that he is trustworthy, so trustworthy. Um, when the Lord, ladies, when the Lord makes a promise, he puts his integrity on the line. Every promise is secured by his character. Every promise in God's word is secured by his character. Get to know him. So very, very important. One commentator also said the attributes of God become the characteristics of Scripture. And he used Psalm 119 as I was reading him uh, on this passage passage, he said, he used Psalm 119, and you know, that's that's the big chapter in the Bible. Well, number one, it's the, the longest chapter in the Bible, what, 172 or 73 verses in that chapter, and um, and he used that, that it's, it's on the Word of God, how God's Word is, you know, his statutes are right and righteous and pure, and on and on and on it goes. Well, every attribute that you see Proclaimed about God's word is also the attribute of God himself. It's his character. That's who he is. It's a wonderful thing. Um, another thing, a good, another good Bible study to do, I don't know if any of you have done it, Marty Collier, a dear friend, has written her book on what, I, what do I know about my God. 
and she's laid it out. You know, about the same time God was working in my heart, God was working in Marty's heart as well. Marty was just smart. She put it all down, (laughs) and she wrote a book, uh, and it's all organized. It's a great study, ladies. You can get it if you've not done it um, at the Wiles Christian Campus where it is. Okay, great. It's it's wonderful. She she kind of lays out how you can uh, do a journal and write down, my God is love. And then every time as you're reading through God's word, you see that truth that God is love from scripture, you write down that passage, you know, in, in your journal you know, that you're making. And she lays it all out in her book. It's, it'd really be well worth it to get it. It's very, very good. Uh, so, number one, study God's attributes. And then number two, study God's Son. Jesus said, He that seeth me, seeth my Father. I do only the things that he tells me to do. My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. I and my Father are one. You want to know about God? Study Jesus. Study him. Go to the Gospels. Read read the Gospels. Compare the four Gospels and all this, you know, Jesus the things he said, the things he did, his miracles. Just read all about that. You know, Jesus introduces God as his Father and our Father. If we know Jesus as our Savior, God as our Father, he introduces God as Father. The Old Testament, God may have been called Father maybe four or five times, but in the New Testament... Oh, I don't know, 200 and something times Jesus talks about God being Father. He's our Father. So therefore, what does that mean for us? That means we have his ear. When we hurt, he hurts. You know, maybe you didn't have a good or don't have a good relationship with your father, so maybe this isn't a real warm part in your heart. But his nature is that of a father, a father who loves, the father you always wanted to have. That's who God is. And Jesus tells us all about that. Um, He has the nature of a father. Yes, God is holy. He is holy. And sin has to be judged. It really does. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. But yet, we have full access to God because he's our Father and he wants us to come to him and talk to him. We have his never-failing love. John 3, what is it, 17 says, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. None. Yes, ladies, you're going to disappoint the Lord because you're a a sinner still. Every day. But there's no condemnation. You still have his love. You will never not have his love. I'm sorry, double negative there. You will never not have his love. I don't think that cancels out. It really does. It's always there. You can count on it. 
And Jesus is the one that tells us that. Study the nature of Christ. Study his love. As you're reading, notice it. Um, all of the Gospels give you a clear picture of God and his love, of Jesus and his love. So therefore, you don't have to be afraid of God. Have you ever thought, I have, that's why I'm saying this, I've thought this before, you know, and, and, and it's not because I was taught it, but it was just some, something that got into my head, you know, that if I, you know, I had to do right, and I, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't really a rebellious kid. I mean, not that I'd never rebelled, I did, but I wasn't, for the most part, rebellious in my nature because I was too afraid to be. Number one, I was afraid of my dad. He would take care of me. He did plenty of times. I mean, I was a preacher's kid. I got called out in church if I was talking. Oh, my dad would say. One time he said, Lynn, would you like to tell everybody what you're talking about? My dad did that to me, and I still loved him. I don't know why, but I did. He was, he was driving a point home to me, you know. But, and I don't know why I told y'all that. It just <laughs> came out. But um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Do I? Fear of God, thank you. <laughs> um, but it was like, okay, I feared my dad because he, he, was, he was a good daddy, but you didn't get by with things if he knew about it. He really, he was a very good daddy, and bless the Lord, he's with, he's with his father now. He's with the Lord Jesus now, where he longed to be, and I miss him. But, um, and I was fear, I was afraid of God. I had a fear of God, and it wasn't the right kind of fear. It was, it was the fear of, you know, a bad taskmaster, maybe is a good way to put it, that if I looked the wrong way or if I just, you know, kind of looked to want to do something I knew I wasn't supposed to do, then God would be there with a billy club to pounce me over the head. That's one of the things I had to realize when I went through my journey of my journaling of uh, learning about God, that that's not who God is. That's not the character of God, not at all. And there was a peace in that. Realizing, I don't have to be afraid. Now, there is the proper fear of God, that reverential fear that you don't want to disappoint Him. And if you truly know God as your Savior, you don't want to disappoint Him. If you don't have any I, you know, thought about, it doesn't matter you know, if I sin or not, then honestly, ladies, I really question if you truly know the Lord as your Savior because His child doesn't want to disappoint Him. That's the right kind of fear. He is a holy God, but we don't have to fear. It's, it's, a, it's just a wonderful truth. Um, so anyway, if you want to know God, just look at his son, Jesus. It will despair, dispel all fear from, fearfulness about a stern God that is waiting to get you because that's not who your God is. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, the man who would truly know God must give time to him. You want to know him, it's work. You must give time. But ladies, that's where our hope is anchored. 
It truly is. It's anchored in our knowledge of who God is. So the reason we can hope is because it comes from God, the ultimate authority, and because of Jesus. Number two, he's the reason for our hope. Jesus is the reason. There in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That means a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ's death on the cross of Calvary for our sins and his resurrection from the dead secures our hope for eternal life. That's why we can hope. That's why we have this blessed hope. It's eternal life. That's what it is. And then, of course, there, Hebrews 6, 18, where it says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we may have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We have strong assurance or comfort in knowing that that we have fled to the refuge, Jesus. He is the reason for our hope. So we have our reason for hope, and now number two, I want to just talk for a little bit about the immutability of hope. The immut- It will never change. It will never go away. It has eternal value. It makes a difference for eternity, ladies. This blessed hope that we have makes a difference for eternity. This living hope is eternal life. Um, so first of all, we have hope for eternity. This hope, this divine confidence we've been talking about is not for everybody. It's not for everyone. It's only for those who have repented of their sins and by faith accepted what Jesus did for them when he died in their place. He took their place to make them right with God. Jesus took our place. He suffered our punishment and offered free forgiveness to all who believe. That is a wonderful, blessed truth. And those of us who have believed, that's our hope. That one day we'll be with with Him. We'll be with God. Um, And many of us in here, I know, have accepted Jesus as our Savior, but there may be some in here who haven't. There may be someone. Basically, all I want to say here, ladies, is that Jesus suffered your punishment and my punishment that we deserve because we're sinners. He suffered in our place and he he died in our place and he rose again, securing our eternal salvation for us. And you think about it. you, You think about that day on the cross, all the players that were there in this scene at the cross of Calvary. You think about the Jewish leaders. They mocked him. They lied about him. They were envious of him. They plotted against him to put him to death. Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with him. He washed his hands of Jesus and he delivered him up to die. The soldiers gambled for his clothes. The crowd mocked and blasphemed him, called for his death. The one thief blasphemed blasphemed him and said, you know, if if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But there were some other players there at the cross. There was the centurion and his men. They saw the miracles. 
they, that happened there, the earthquake. They saw it. They saw Jesus die. They saw the miracle of his body that was broken and bruised and the brutality of what happened there that day. And they were afraid. They were, meaning they were aware of their sin. It touched their heart. His death and his life really touched their heart that day. And what do they say? They confessed, truly, this man was the Son of God. That was genuine faith, ladies. Those men turned their eyes to Jesus and by faith accepted who he was. And then there was the other thief who had originally mocked Jesus with the first thief. But then he understood who Je- he understood who he was. What did he say to the other thief? We deserve the punishment we're getting. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he looked at Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? This day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Ladies, that's what, that's what genuine faith is all about, looking to Jesus. Titus 2.13 says, He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the anchor of our soul, our hope of eternal life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, as verse 5 says there in 1 Peter, it's your inheritance, 4 and 5. It's incorruptible. It doesn't perish. It's undefiled. It's it's unstained and pure. It doesn't fade away. It won't leave you. And it's reserved in heaven. That's what we have forward to what we have to look forward to. We have heaven with God and Jesus and all the saints that have gone before us. Wonderful. So hope for eternity. Do you have that hope for eternity, ladies? If you don't, please, please talk to one of us. We would love to share what, how you too can know Jesus as your Savior and have that hope. That doesn't fade away. It's forever reserved for us in heaven. You talk about security. (laughs) It's wonderful, wonderful security. But then there's hope for the here and now. Hope for the here and now. This living hope not only secures our eternity with Christ, but it helps to keep our focus on Christ during the storms and trials of life. Here and now. As I said earlier, life gets messy. Hardships in this life are just that. They're hard. They're very hard. Betrayals, illnesses, disasters, loss of loved ones. People attack us. Accusations, misunderstandings. Children disappoint us. Emotional battles and sin habits that trip us up. These are all things here and now that we face, but God gives us hope for the here and now. Complaining and grumbling causes us to become overwhelmed, and often our problems become insurmountable. And I'm not going to go into it now, but if you'll write down Psalm 77, and maybe before you go to bed tonight, read Psalm 77. Because if you do, you're going to find out the psalmist 
is a mirror of who we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to take you to it, but read it tonight. You'll see that he refused to be comforted. He couldn't sleep or talk rationally because of, of things going on in his life. His depression deepened and he deepened and he, he bemoaned the loss of happier days. Have you ever been there? I have. I have. Um, his mind constantly spin, spinned to figure out solutions or to rehearse offenses. Have you ever rehearsed offenses in your mind? Oh, that's not a good thing, but we do it. And he questioned God. But then you'll get to, to verse 10, and you notice the difference. Things changed. Um, he remembered how God had been there for him in the past. He offered verbal praise for God's greatness and power. And then over in Romans 5, 1 through 5, you can read that as well. He, you rejoice in the hope we have in Christ. That will get you out of the pit of despair. Rejoice in the hope. And then embrace the tribulation. That, it, it's all there in that passage there of Romans 5, 1 through 5. Embrace the tribulation. That doesn't mean be happy that you're in tribulation times. You know, be happy that people are, are saying ugly things to you and talking about you and stabbing you in the back. It's not saying that. But it's saying, realize that when these times come, they're there for a purpose. And the purpose is, number one, it produces patience or perseverance. That's the ability to remain under heavy weight and pressure without succumbing, without giving in and quitting. It produce, tribulation produces patience, ladies. It produces perseverance. It gives you the strength to carry on. That's what's one one thing, one blessed um, thing we get, a, a rich spiritual blessing we get when tribulation comes, even though we hate it. Number two, patience. And so when that patience comes, it produces patience. Then patience produces experience. It says there in verse four, our proven character, which the Greek word here for the English word character simply means proof. This word was used in testing metals to determine their purity. In other words, tribulation produces patience. Patience produces a proof that your faith is real. That's what it does. It's real because your character has been proven that you're going to continue on. And then... Experience produces hope. That rock-solid divine confidence in God and His Word. This summer, this was, I was studying all this this summer and just getting excited. And I wish I could take the time to go to Psalm 77 and show you that, then go to Romans 1, or Romans uh, 5, 1 through 5, and show you all this. But you can read it for yourself. You can get the same thing out of it I did. Um, but I was talking to my friend. She came to visit me this summer. We had about eight days together, which never happens. Uh, my husband was out in, in Christian camps, and her husband had gone to Arizona to do a uh, soccer tournament, and, and it was an outreach, and they had several people, kids get saved. So our husbands were ministering, and Donna and I were playing. We were just having fun. We went to see Chip and Joe. 
we went over there to see them. You know, <laughs> Magnolia Market, you know, TV. What's the name of their TV program? Um, Fixer Upper, you know. We went. Of course, we didn't see them, but we went. We had fun. We had a good time. But anyway, one day we were just talking, you know, and we were talking about the trials that we all, that we both have faced. And we've known each other for like 42 years. She's my best friend. And um, we were talking about it. And she was talking about a time in her life where it was a really emotional time. And she said to me, Lynn, she said, there was a time where I didn't even know if I wanted to keep believing. And I said, I know. I've wondered that at times before, too. I said, but, and I called her name. I said, but I know you didn't quit believing. She said, how do you know? You weren't there. You know, she can talk to me. She's like my sister. How do you know you weren't there? I said, I know because of where you are right now. That's how I know. You didn't quit believing. Now, trials were so heavy in your life at that time. You were in despair, but you didn't quit believing or you wouldn't be where you are today. There's no way. And she was crying and I was crying. You know, I, I said that, you know, that's the truth because, ladies, that patience, that perseverance is not up to us. <laughs> God's the one who endures. He gives us his Holy Spirit to help us do it. But he is the one who endures. He's the one who holds us fast. He really is. It's about him. And she, you know, it's like she couldn't quit believing because he was what she had believed in since she was a child. It was in the depths of her soul. But trials caused her to want, you know, to think about, is it all real? If you've never been there, it's real. It, it's a truly real thing that can happen in our lives. But trials and tribulations are, wonder, are wonderful in the fact they produce a confidence in us that we do have genuine faith. He is at work in our lives, and we are working through it with His presence, with His love, with His strength, of course, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, the very nature of biblical hope is one of waiting. And what we are waiting for will happen, ladies. These are the times when our hope in God is anchored. They truly are. This is hope. Hope for eternity. Hope for the here and, here and now. So when the distresses in life come, remember, He gives us hope through the promises of His Word. And our job, is to trust Him while we're waiting. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So ladies, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's your hope. He's the anchor of your soul. No matter the happenings in life.